The Annex Wealth Management Show on 92.5 Fox News is hosted by Annex Wealth Management, a registered investment advisor. Important information about the qualifications and business practices of Annex is available at AnnexWealth.com. Different types of investments involve varying degrees of risk. Please consult with a qualified fiduciary advisor about your specific situation. Know the difference. Now, the Annex Wealth Management Show on 92.5 Fox News. Disney earnings and is funflation over. Welcome to Money Talk, the Annex Wealth Management Show. We are glad you are here. In the next hour, we're going to talk about planning for aging parents. Boy, I tell you, I wish I would have known this kind of stuff 10 years ago. You're going to know it today. Ask Annex is on the way toward the end of the show. We're going to talk about eight tips for smarter charitable giving. Glad you're here. I'm Danny Clayton. Brian Jacobson is our chief economist. Welcome. Great to be here. Dave Spano, president and CEO. Welcome to you. Yeah, thanks, Danny. It's going to be a great show. And of course, the mood of the market has certainly changed, Brian. Mm -hmm. Uh, In the last couple of weeks, we had uh, a really good week last week. And again, that continued throughout this week as well. It did. And a lot of it seems to be really driven by interest rates as far as the idea that the Federal Reserve might be on hold, something we've been calling the Powell pause on our investment committee here. And uh, with this rate interest rate stability has come some decent rallies in the broader equity markets. And so I think a lot of it has to deal with just, hey, rates aren't going to the moon anymore. And and we'll have to see. But, you know, the S&P 500, folks, is up 14% for the year. And that may come as a surprise to a lot of people. But last week, the S&P was, and the NASDAQ was up 6.5%. And again, that continued throughout this week. And in earnings reports as well, uh, you know, we're about 85% through the earnings reports. And most of them are better than expected. They are. And the beats have really come more on terms of the bottom line. So in terms of earnings. So when we think about kind of the financial statements, you have top line, which is the revenues and the sales, and then bottom line, which is the earnings. They've been beating on the bottom line, which is healthy. However, there has been a little bit of weakness on that top line revenue growth. Now, kind of putting on my economists and strategist hat, I know that economic Economic growth usually correlates, goes up and down with the top line sales growth. And so when you get from the top to the bottom, you get some cost cutting that can take place. And it does seem as though a lot of, especially the bigger companies, have already tried to right size their workforce, maybe their debt structure in order to deal with any sort of weakness we might see in the future in terms of the top line growth. And so let's talk about that in more detail because we pay attention to a lot of these macro ideas and that really comes from the Federal Reserve. And of course, you talked about the Powell pause, but he certainly sent his minions out all across <laughs> (laughs) the country, including the Minneapolis Fed chair and the San Francisco Fed chair, both were singing from the same song sheet. Yeah, it really does seem like that. So, you know, you kind of go to church and you've got the hymnal and everybody's singing in unison, and it really did seem like that. Um, There is a little bit of the dissonance. So some people like me who can't really carry a tune necessarily. So there are a few of those out there, but they do seem to say that, hey, interest rates, these long-term interest rates have gone up and that has helped to tighten financial conditions, which is what is doing some of the Fed's work for them. So as a result, instead of having to hike rates any further, the market is starting to do the work for the Fed. 
And you look at that, and of course, the San Francisco Fed president said it is too soon to declare victory, and that's almost exactly what Kashikar said as well. But there was a re- interesting comment that she made in San Francisco, which is they're standing in the ready position to react either way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that is really interesting. Every meeting is what they would call a live meeting, so it could go up and or down. And that's actually an improvement because since March of 2022, it's almost like they have been singularly focused on hiking, 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 and now they think that maybe they could pause, pause, pause. Yeah, and we'll have to see, and you know, we look at not only here in the United States, but globally as well. You showed me something that was really interesting that was happening in Germany. Yeah, so Germany, for four months in a row, they have had negative growth with industrial production. Now, keep in mind, Germany is somewhat unique in terms of their age structure, also their manufacturing base. They tend to manufacture a lot more than what we do in the United States as a percentage of their overall economy. They also have tighter ties to countries like Russia and to China. And so some of the weakness in China and the higher energy costs because of the continuing war against Ukraine by Russia is really weighing on that German economy. And uh, finally, we want to look uh, not only backwards but forward. Next week, we have two economic reports that we should pay attention to. Yes, I think that two key things. Number one, consumer price index. What is going on with inflation? And number two, retail sales. Retail sales, we know that this summer, people were having a lot of fun going travel, hospitality, leisure, concerts, all those things. And are they beginning to tighten their belts? And what's, what's the term that you used? So, yes, we've been calling it funflation. <laughs> uh, you know, if you look at the different parts of inflation that have been going up the fastest. It's really been leisure and hospitality. And as a deep dive on the market, we call it the Week in Review, always available as a podcast, always delivered Sundays in the Axiom newsletter. If you're not signed up for it, make sure you do. If you want to get more in-depth information, subscribe to the Annex Wealth Management SWAT podcast wherever you get your podcasts. This is Money Talk, the Annex Wealth Management show, Sunday, November 12th, Veterans Day weekend. We're going to be right back. 92.5 Fox News. At Annex Wealth Management, our goal is to provide insight for complex financial decisions. For attorneys seeking CLE credit, join us November 14th at Shula Steakhouse for our presentation, Treatment of Quadro Distributions Post-Divorce. For tax consequences in today's environment, join our chief economist for navigating the markets, strategies in an ever-changing tax environment. November 15th at M Waterfront Grill. And come to our open house at our new location, 4901 Tamiami Trail from 2 till 5, November 16th. Details at AnnexWealth.com events. Annex Wealth Management. Back in Money Talk, the Annex Wealth Management Show, Veterans Day weekend. And off the top, we want to extend our thanks and appreciation to everybody who has worn the uniform in support of our country. Annex has a number of veterans on staff and more than a handful engaged in roles with the National Guard. When a member of the Guard has weekend drill, yearly training, or deploys to serve, there's an impact on a workplace. It's one we embrace at Annex. In fact, in the past, members of our team have been called away to perform vital services. Some employers might bristle a little over an employee being away. We do not. And this hasn't gone unnoticed. ESGR stands for Employee Support Guard and Reserve. It's an important organization. They recognize individuals and organizations that support their mission. Their broadest and most inclusive award is the Seven Seals Award. And I'm proud to share that you, Dave Spano, were awarded the Seven Seals Award Friday at our headquarters. On behalf of our staff, congratulations. Well deserved. And again, you really pointed this out. It's on behalf of the team. I know I accepted that award 
but it was on behalf of the team and all of the support that you as well and everybody on our team has done. So we're proud to support that. We will continue to do that. And, of course, there's organizations that we are proud to support, and, of course, the National Guard is clearly one of those. And the one Marine we have on staff would like everybody to know that right. Friday was their anniversary. Yeah, Marine's birthday, exactly. <laughs> that's, that's right. And so it was, it was good to have that, and I'm glad I accepted it on behalf of our team. Dave Spano is our president and CEO, Annex Wealth Management. Brian Jacobson is our chief economist. I think the good segue is, of course, not only talking about the support for the military, but, you know, there's a potential situation that is brewing right now. And, of course, it's the government shutdown, and that mm-hmm. is coming up quick. And right now there is not bipartisan support to try to avoid that. Yeah, so November 17th is the deadline that if uh, they don't come to an agreement in order to fund the government, uh, really, you do go through a shutdown procedure. Now, that doesn't mean the government completely shuts down, of course. Uh, but it does mean that our good men and women who are serving our country, if there's a shutdown, uh, they might not get paid. They'll continue to work, but they don't necessarily get the but pay. But they will get the back they pay. They will get the back, back pay. pay, exactly. Right. So but they it can, eventually will get paid. Yep, but it can create some stress on those families uh, as they go through it. So it's, uh, you know, hearts go out to them. Hopefully we will get some sort of uh, agreement. But if we don't, it kind of makes me think that we are likely then going to see the sequester or the spending cuts actually go into place as previously negotiated under the debt ceiling deal. So the deal that raised the debt ceiling, there could be 1% cuts to discretionary spending in January if there is a government shutdown or if they don't pass all of these spending bills. And maybe that could actually be a bit of a benefit to the broader markets in the sense that people won't worry so much about all of the deficit spending that has been taking place. Now, it's not going to really move the needle, and it's not a long-term solution to the deficit spending, but maybe... From a psychological perspective, we could see a little bit of stability or downward bias to interest rates, which then could maybe help some of those big uh, big cap tech companies that are very highly correlated and tied to the movements in interest so rates. So let's talk about that, because that is really the concern, is, of course, what happens to interest rates. And, of course, there's this thing called the Treasury auctions, and mm. sometimes they are, get pretty sloppy, and oh. they have been sloppy lately. They have been. Uh, two of them were very notable. The first one was a couple of weeks ago, the five-year auction. So when they auction off a five-year Treasury note, that one, it wasn't very well received. The most recent one was for the 30-year government bond. And that one was, uh, I mean, just downright ugly. There were not a lot of bidders for it. Uh, The interest rate that they paid was higher than it needed to be. Comes to find out, some of it could have been due to a ransomware attack against a Chinese bank that operates in the United States. So it has a U.S. subsidiary, but there was a ransomware attack that actually interrupted some of the uh, settlement of those deals. So it, that was kind of an interesting dynamic. It really was. And as we get to the end of the earnings season, 85% of companies reporting already. Now, NVIDIA has got a report yet mm-hmm. uh, in a week or so, but there certainly could be some volatility between now and the end of the year. You talk about a potential government shutdown. You talk about for perhaps a further geopolitical risk. And of course, treasury auctions really mean that there could be some volatility between now and then. That is the reason why, folks, you need to know what's in your portfolio. We provide perspective that you may not get from other advisors. Using a fee-only fiduciary is really the first step in trying to get that done. Investment, retirement planning, tax planning, estate planning. Those four things together as a fee-only fiduciary. Starts at AnnexWealth.com. Click that Get Start a Button. 
I've gone through it. You might be in the middle of it. How to help aging parents make sure their plan is being followed and loose ends are tied up. That's next. This is Money Talk, the Annex Wealth Management Show, 92.5 Fox News. At Annex Wealth Management, we believe every portfolio tells a story. After all, we've analyzed thousands. Some reflect diligence and fortitude. Others, a mishmash of overlapping investments. When Annex reviews your portfolio, we spot what works, what might not, and then provide unbiased suggestions free from sales commissions. Every portfolio tells a story. Let's work on yours. Investment, retirement, tax, and estate planning. As a fee-only fiduciary, that's our story. Head to AnnexWealth.com. Know the difference with Annex Wealth Management? Keith Butler is a wealth manager at Annex Wealth Management. Welcome back. Great to be here. Caring for aging parents is tough, and things can get complicated in a hurry. Those who are called upon to do the crucial task of caring for elderly parents can benefit from planning ahead, emotionally and financially. While some of the developments may be out of our control, there's a few things we can do to soften the impact. Keith, let's talk about that. I guess the first thing that should happen, really, though, is you need to talk to your parents parents about it. And right. it all depends on right. where they're at. I've told the story before about my dad, when he was retired, he was living many states away, actually reached out to my sister and I and said, will you let me know when it's time? That was a great entree to that. Right. Not everybody gets that. That's a great story. And I think that opens up probably the most important part of this whole thing is, is the communication. And the conversation we're going to have today is, is really interesting to me because most of the things that we talk about at Annex when we go on the, on the radio and these, these segments is hard things you know, like tax, numbers, the financial plan and things like that. And this is interesting because it's sort of the soft stuff. It's the kind of the mushy because every mileage may vary, if you will. Every situation is different. But yes, having a conversation is the most important thing to do. It goes from, okay, the parents thinking something happens to me. Do they know where to go? Do they know where to, how to find the important information? Do they know how to find the key to the safe deposit box? That sort of thing is, is really the starting point to this whole topic. You know, it's probably a dress rehearsal because I'm in my early 60s and I know at some point my kids are going to be going through this with me. Right, right, right. right. Do you find that there's sometimes some resistance from the parents saying, no, 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 I got it? They're, oh, absolutely. It happens all the time. The interpersonal relationships is how, how much can you push back and when do you push back? And you got to pick your battles. But when it comes to physical safety and driving and things like that, you got to push pretty hard. Oh, I've heard some horror stories of when yeah. the keys need to be taken away from somebody. And that, right. that's really a tough one because you, it's that loss of control. Mm -hmm. Parents don't want to consider themselves as aging or failing. Right. First thing that we're going to talk about is really to have those estate planning documents ready. And you kind of alluded to that, but if you're not off the same playbook, that is going to be, that's going to be an issue. It is, you know, the, the basics of an estate plan, of course, are your trust, a will, things like that. But for purpose of this discussion, you know, there's, there's powers of attorney that are really, really important. They're, they're important at, at any point in time. But you have a couple different types. You have a, the durable power of attorney, which is a financial power of attorney, and it addresses finances only. It gives another person the right to act on your behalf if you're unable to do so. And that could be, that isn't necessarily just, you know, incompetence or something like that. It could be you're traveling overseas or something like that. It's always a good idea to have a trusted person that can transact finances for you. The other part is healthcare, and that, that falls under two different sort of documents. One is a healthcare power of attorney. A healthcare power of attorney is where you name another person, typically a spouse's name each other, and then maybe one a, a child is a successor, to make healthcare decisions if you can't make those decisions. The other is a declaration to physicians or a living will. They're synonymous terms. 
And that is your declaration to the world. Like, okay, if these conditions exist, I don't want uh, life-saving measures taken or heroic measures to save me or that sort of thing. I will tell you that the, the medical industry really prefers the former. They want a healthcare power of attorney because then it's someone else. It's like, okay, Danny, what do we do with mom? It's been incumbent on you to have that conversation with mom so that you know what her wishes are. Because with a living will, then the doctors are in a position, they have to decide, do these conditions exist? And that can be, well, I don't know, like if I'm not expected to live 60 days or something like that. I, maybe not. Great point. Talking to Keith Butler, wealth manager at Annex Wealth Management, talking about caring for aging parents, big responsibility, but it can be done. Next point to consider, prepare financially and physically for health care costs. One of the, the best ways to protect yourself in this regard is uh, long-term care insurance. Now, this is an, uh, an interesting form of insurance that is not as available through as many companies as it used to be because the experience of the companies was really bad. It's easy with life insurance. You're either dead or you're not, right? And they can use actuarial numbers and they can tell with precision what sort of claims they will have. With long-term care insurance, typically it pays for, obviously, a nursing home. It'll pay for other things, sometimes nursing care to come into your home, take care of you at your house, a lot of different things like that. But people who have this sort of insurance that protects a vulnerability in the financial plan. Because a lot of times we see the one vulnerability for people whose plan is otherwise successful is, well, a nursing home would really kind of cause a problem. Couldn't afford it. So your client comes in, they're elderly, and they want to begin the process. Who's involved? Are the kids involved yet? Hopefully. You know, in a perfect world, absolutely. The family is involved. Just an estate plan overall, because you, if you can, if you have a family dynamic where things are open and people trust each other and you can have the conversations with everyone, you can explain yourself. When you create an estate plan, by its nature, it's something that doesn't take effect until you're gone, right? So you can't explain yourself then if you're doing something that isn't completely equally to all the kids. We would like to help. Keith is on the team, along with the rest of the crew here, for investment and retirement planning, tax planning, and estate planning as a fee-only fiduciary. Keith Butler, Wealth Manager, Annex Wealth Management. Thanks for your time. A pleasure. Quick break, and we're going to be back. This is Money Talk, the Annex Wealth Management Show, 92.5 Fox News. Do you cringe when you look at your high school pictures? So much has changed. From your hair, there might be less or a completely different color, to the innocence of your smile. We grow up and learn the world is bigger than we thought. It's the same with your money. Your views of wealth, legacy, and taxes have all grown up. Has your financial plan? Take a proactive approach. Get an Annex Wealth Management Tax Smart Strategy Review. Visit AnnexWealth.com slash TaxSmart. Know the difference with Annex Wealth Management. Our firm works with many high net worth clients, and it's a great relationship and it makes sense. These individuals and families have a unique brand of challenges that require sound advice and a team approach. Nuances, complexities, challenges. That's what these situations have. And with the help of Annex, satisfactory solutions. Brandon Lehman is director of Annex, private client, a CFP and a wealth manager who works with a number of high net worth clients here. Welcome. Danny. So who are these high net worth individuals? And, and we've done things like this before. They're not lottery winners. No, no. High net worth individuals and even the ultra high net worth, a lot of that wealth is accumulated through, frankly, hard work. 
It's establishing, creating a business, building it from ground zero, and eventually getting to the point where you monetize that business, whether it's a sale to the next generation, a sale to an outside investor, something like that. But that's where a lot of it comes from. Or executives that have built their careers and, and got to the top and worked extremely hard. That's where this tends to come from. A lot of American success stories. There are. There are so many stories where you talk to individuals where they started with $5,000 and they built this dream and they poured their heart and soul into it for 20, 30, 40 years of their life and they finally get to reap their rewards. But what comes with that is a lot of complexities. And one of them is changing tax codes. It's on the mind of many, many people, but definitely high net worth people. This is where sometimes it can get political, but that's not the point today. No matter what side of the aisle you're on, you have to think about it from this. We need to have taxes and taxes are a thing. So we need to think about taxes. What do we do? How do we handle it? And there's multiple ways to go, right? We just had the biggest change in taxes in 2017 with the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act. Well, what did that do? It retained the seven structures, but changed five of them. And what's really unique about this is it brought it from 39.7 down to 37%. Yeah, you're saying, well, 2%, maybe almost three, no big deal, but it is because in the long run, that is impactful. What's even more unique about this and why we're talking about it right now is these are set to expire if nothing changes at the end of 2025. So we need to start planning about it. The other thing is there's a whole set of regulations and new laws that have been proposed. Will they be passed? Who knows? But we need to think about it. High net worth families are thinking about this because if you have more than a million dollars in income, all of a sudden your tax rate on long-term capital gains has been proposed to go up. Your tax rate has been proposed to go up. All of these things might seem small, but can have a huge impact. Brandon Lehman is director of Annex Private Client, CFP and a wealth manager at Annex Wealth Management. We're talking about high net worth clients and their concerns. Let's talk about estate planning for these individuals. This is one where if you think back, you know, in the 90s, the estate tax exemption was $600,000. And then kind of fast forward, we had that weird anomaly in 2010 where there was none. It started to creep up. And then with the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act, it reset and basically today is roughly just under $13 million per person. Well, as we talked about before, this is all resetting in 2025, the end of, in the start of 2026. Well, what does that mean? With where it is now at $24 million for a couple, most people aren't concerned. That's dropping down to 12. And stuff that hasn't been talked about in a while, portability, building this all out, what does that mean? How do we account for this? Because of over that amount, now all of a sudden you're paying 40% to the government after that last spouse has passed. That's a like huge hit. So there's a lot of planning, a lot of discussion that has been had in the past, but now it's really starting to come down the pike to have these discussions, see what it means, and really see the impact. It's so incredible on what this can do to a family when all of a sudden you've gave away 40% to the United States government. Let's talk about sustaining lifestyle during retirement. That's something we work with with high net worth clients. Yeah. So this is another area where you have to start thinking about it more in bucket terms. And Mark Beck and I have talked about this in the past where you have your bucket strategies. But when you extrapolate this out to the high net worth space, you have to think about it more in a multiple bucket segment. And there's buckets of liquidity, right? What are those immediate term needs that that just funds that lifestyle that you have? Then you have kind of that short-term bucket you start to think about. That's going to be invested in a way that you're trying to generate some yield, but isn't exposed to too much market risk, maybe, depending on the situation. Then you get into kind of more of a fixed income bucket. Than an equity bucket. The last bucket, which we do tend to see a lot of folks can be overweight in, is the illiquidity bucket. What do I mean by that? 
So they're heavy in real estate. They're heavy maybe in private equity. They're heavy in their business. Well, those are great things for having a net worth. They're not so great when it comes to liquidity. So it's structuring these things and these plans and these goals in a way that offers liquidity, but also has opportunity for long-term growth. What does Annex bring to the table to work effectively to meet the needs of high net worth clients? When you look at it, you have an amazing team of individuals that is going to come to the plate and sit down and focus on all these areas, whether it's tax, whether it's estate, whether it's planning. And I don't mean financial planning, you know, can I retire today? It's what did the distribution planning look like? How do we structure this? How do we focus on liquidity, but also make sure that we have this bucket of assets grow basically into perpetuity, continue it along, but then safeguard it as best we can from taxes. And we've got teams dedicated to this. We do. So you look at the wealth strategist team that we have here in those folks and the dedicated work that they do in this space where they really dive down deep into the weeds to make sure that overall the clients are taken care of and they meet those long-term objectives. Brandon Lehman, Director of Annex Private Client, CFP and a Wealth Manager at Annex Wealth Management. Thanks for joining us. Thanks, Danny. At Annex Wealth Management, our goal is to provide insight for complex financial decisions. For attorneys seeking CLE credit, join us November 14th at Shula Steakhouse for our presentation, Treatment of Quadro Distributions Post-Divorce. For tax consequences in today's environment, join our chief economist for navigating the markets, strategies in an ever-changing tax environment, November 15th at M Waterfront Grill. And come to our open house at our new location, 4901 Tamiami Trail from 2 till 5, November 16th. Details at AnnexWealth.com slash events. Annex Wealth management. Time for Ask Annex. As always, get a question for us. You head to our website, AnnexWealth.com. You look for the Ask tab, and if we can help, and I know we can, click that Get Started button. In the studio, Matt Morsey, Investment Team Manager. Welcome. Hey, Danny. CFP, too. I always forget that. Yes, sir. That was hard-earned, wasn't it? It was. You, too. Fred Coleman, CFP and a Wealth Manager at Annex Wealth Management. Welcome to you. Yeah, thanks for having me, Danny. Question number one on Ask Annex. Assuming Social Security is stable, how does Roth and HSA savings affect the amount of Social Security one will receive each month and assuming 30 years of Social Security income? Because these will reduce the amount of Social Security received and that Roth may be a wash to traditional 401ks or IRAs. Are they really getting me ahead? No one has ever covered this math that I know. Yeah, that's a great question. And there's a lot of math involved. And luckily, you know, with all these moving parts when it comes to taxes and rules and uh, all these different laws that change, it's almost impossible to figure out. But fortunately, we have the tools, the systems and the people here that helps even us figure those types of things out. So when it comes to HSA contributions, they're not included in Social Security wages. So making HSA contributions, it can slightly reduce what's called the Social Security wage base. On the other hand, it saves that 6.2% on what's called FICA tax. You get a tax deduction for the income. It grows tax deferred. And you have the opportunity to withdraw tax-free in the future if used for medical expenses. So I think the benefits of contributing to an HSA far outweigh the small additional benefit of counting that income towards your Social Security. 401ks and Ross, they're both included in the Social Security wage calculations. That won't affect your benefits at all, making contributions to those. With all that being said, it's important to put the numbers to the test in a financial plan and to see what's the optimal amount to contribute to these various types of accounts. The segment is called Ask Annex, but it's also a soapbox as well because I, I love this one. Here we go. This is more of a rant and less of a question. 
My nephew is complaining about his weak performance in a 2055 target date fund that is 90% equity. Market has been roughed up recently. He's 30 and should know better. I keep my mouth shut. Why aren't schools teaching investing basics? <laughs> yeah, it's a lot to unpack there. Um, you know, I think investing should be a part of the curriculum as well, like math and reading and all those subjects that we learn in school. But that's what we're here for. We lead with education here at Annex. The thing about the target day fund that I like, if you don't work with an advisor, they make them really easy to understand. The objective of the fund is that you're planning on needing the funds around 2055. So by investing in this fund, you're playing a long game. you got about 30 years. Uh, volatility is going to be expected. I look at it as an opportunity to buy low. Today's markets could be the lowest markets that he'll ever experience in his life. So my advice is look at this as an opportunity. No, Matt, if it's 90% equities, isn't it bound to be pretty volatile? It's going to be all over the place, that's for sure. We've, we're coming off a couple of years here where the market's been all over the place. Even the 10% of that that's fixed income, we're in a really, really long bear market for fixed income, so that's not helping as well. And especially depending on how they've invested that fixed income, if they've used longer dated treasuries or longer dated bonds, they're going to be feeling that pain even more. But Fred, as you were saying, it's really an opportunity. And with that much time to go, you really want to see a lot of volatility if you're younger. Frankly, you really want to see a pullback and you want to be able to get as much money into that target date fund as possible and allow that to grow over time. So with 30 years out, you know, to get to that spot, you do actually want to feel bad about it today. So you feel better about it going forward. And from an education standpoint, I was always kind of amazed too growing up that there wasn't a lot of financial classes in school. Even when I went to college, I took one financial planning course that it was an elective that I did as an independent study because my school didn't have a major on it or classes. And I went back and taught the same class later on to undergraduate kids. And I had six kids who signed up for that class. So it wasn't a lot of kids that were really looking for it, but it's so, so important. And it's one of those things that people don't know nearly enough. So I love here, like you said, that we lead with education with our clients, and it's something we really believe strongly in. And sir, if we may give you permission, since he is your nephew, you can yell at him. (laughs) (laughs) Last question on Ask Annex. How does someone become an accredited investor? And before you answer that, what is it and how, when do you have to be one? Yeah, that's a great question. And it really comes down to specific types of investments are available for everybody. Think individual stocks, individual bonds, mutual funds, ETFs, stuff like that. Anyone is able to go in and, and invest in those things. But there are certain things that don't have the same level of regulation or don't have the same level of rules that the SEC has decided that if you want to invest in these, you have to hit certain requirements because of that extra complexity and some less protections that are around you. There's a couple different levels to this, but the one particular here is an accredited investor. And the definition is that you need to either have an income of $200,000 or if you're married, $300,000 combined, or you need a net worth of a million or more and that's gonna exclude your primary residence. And it has to be consistent or somewhat consistent too. So it's not just a a date and time or or one time you have to hit one of those things, but be able to show that that is stable. And the reason there is that the SEC is assuming that if you have a higher income or a higher net worth, that one, you could take the risk of being in something like a hedge fund, private equity, private real estate, venture capital, things like that, or that you have a higher sophistication level that you can understand the ins and outs of there. And that may not be true. So that's one thing that you got to watch for just because you have a high income or high net worth doesn't mean that is the right thing for you. But they're assuming that it might be a a better placement for you because you might understand a little bit more. Now, keep in mind, a lot of those things have higher fees as well, too. And so they those a lot of those things go together. But it's one dividing line that the SEC has said is, is out there. 
Matt Morsey, CFP, Investment Team Manager, thank you. Thank you. Fred Coleman, CFP, Wealth Manager, Annex Wealth Management, thank you. Thanks, Danny. You've been blessed, and you'd like to bless others through charitable contribution. What's the wise way to do that? We'll cover it next. This is Money Talk, the Annex Wealth Management Show on 92.5 Fox News. Do you cringe when you look at your high school pictures? So much has changed. From your hair, there might be less or a completely different color, to the innocence of your smile. We grow up and learn the world is bigger than we thought. It's the same with your money. Your views of wealth, legacy, and taxes have all grown up. Has your financial plan? Take a proactive approach. Get an Annex Wealth Management Tax Smart Strategy Review. Visit AnnexWealth.com slash TaxSmart. Know the difference with Annex Wealth Management? Dan Phillips, Director of Client Learning and Development, CFP and a CDFA at Annex, is here. Welcome back. Hi. Also joining us, Keith Butler, Wealth Manager at Annex Wealth Management. Hey, Keith. Great to be here. A charitable heart is a wonderful thing. Great joy comes from sharing of one's abundance. And it can happen in several different ways. But are there smarter ways to do it? You bet. And that's what Deanna and Keith are going to be covering for us. Let's start real simple. I mean, there's so many ways you can give. So many ways. The obvious is cash, but there's also household items, art, clothing, giving your time by volunteering for an organization or being on a board. But when it comes to financially giving, okay, how do you figure out what's best? Does it come from your portfolio of assets? Do you give from your bank account? And there are pros and cons to different ways. Of course, there's the potential tax benefit as well as the feel-good aspect to take into consideration so much that last year, it's actually estimated, Danny, that just under $500 billion went to charitable organizations. So people opened up their hearts and their pocketbooks. And you'll probably agree, don't feel bad if you're looking for a tax-friendly way to do that. Absolutely. That's that's why this is smarter. One popular method is appreciated stock gifts. I know what that is, but how does that work? work. Yes, that is a very effective way to give. For example, you invested in, let's say, stock. You bought the stock for $5,000 you know, a number of years ago. It's worth $20,000 right now. So normally, if you had sold that, you'd be a capital gains tax on the $15,000 excess, right? If you give this instead, give this to your favorite charity, you will get a deduction for the fair market value on that date, that $20,000, and the long-term capital gain just goes away. Dan, you mentioned cash. Is there a tax-smart way to give cash? You know, actually, cash is one of the most common ways to give because you can donate up to 60% of your adjusted gross income to charity if you really want to be generous. But you have to be aware of having appropriate documentation if you're gifting cash. If you're giving over $250, then a contemporaneous written acknowledgement actually comes from the charity and it is tracked, including if any goods or services were given back to you in return for the donation. Talking about eight tips for smarter charitable giving. Next up, the old QCD, the Qualified Charitable Distribution. Is there a level of complexity with that? It's not too bad. The one thing you have to know is that it doesn't come into play until you're at least 70 and a half years old. Because, you know, for many, many years, required minimum distributions from your IRAs were set at 70 and a half. And then the SECURE Act, the first SECURE Act a few years ago, raised that to 72. And now the SECURE Act this year raised the minimum distribution age from 73 or 75, depending on when you were born for after 1960. But for whatever reason, I don't understand the logic, but it's great, is you can still make a qualified charitable distribution at age 70 and a half. And that just involves a distribution directly from your IRA to the charity. We have a lot of folks that do this that are in the RMD age. If they don't need the money right now and they're making charitable contributions anyway, this is probably the best way to do it. But it has to be direct. So you want to work with your advisor to make sure that it's paid from the IRA to the charity. 
Deanne, there's a thing called a donor-advised funds. How's that work? So donor-advised funds are particularly great if you're expecting a high-income year because you get this income tax deduction up front. You give the gift on one tax year, so you get the deduction, but then the giving to the charity can be stretched out over multiple years. You can use both cash or appreciated securities or a combination. Of course, as Keith mentioned, donating appreciated assets allows avoidance of paying capital gains on appreciation. That is a really, really good way because what it does is it differentiates or bifurcates, if you will, when you make the gift so you can control when you get the deduction because for your own personal tax situation, it may be advantageous in a certain tax year to get that deduction. That's not necessarily when you want the charity to get the money so you can separate those two. And that's the real advantage to a donor-advised fund is being able to then control when they get it. And as of the rules right now, there's really no rules as to when you have to give it. So you sometimes they just build up for a while and you can give it down the road. I suspect at some point they will probably have some sort of regulations that come out to direct when those have to come out. But right now it's very open. Eight tips for smarter charitable giving. Charitable trusts, that's an option. Yeah, charitable trusts are a great way. And this is a very sophisticated tool. There are two types, charitable uh, remainder trusts, charitable lead trusts. And to oversimplify a bit, a charitable remainder trust, you retain an income interest for life, either for the person making the gift or a member of their family, typically, so that during lifetime you get an income flow. And then on death, a charity uh, receives the benefit. Now, wh- what does this accomplish? Well, you get a charitable deduction up front. It's done in actuarial calculation of the years until your expected death, but there's a portion you get that deduction and then you retain an income interest. Charitable lead trust is just the opposite, where a charity gets the distributions right now and a lump sum goes to a family member years down the road. If you do want to give, and this is something that you'd like to do, but you don't have a path, obviously this is something, Deanne, we take care of for our clients, right? Oh, we absolutely do. We talk about lifetime legacy as well as the legacy after we're gone. You know, it's really a wonderful feeling if you have during your lifetime the ability to make your own soul sing by being charitable and uh, donating to causes that are meaningful to you. Deanne Phillips, Director of Client Learning and Development at Annex, also Wealth Manager, CFP, and a CDFA. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Keith Butler, Wealth Manager at Annex. Thank you. My pleasure. This is Money Talk, the Annex Wealth Management Show, 92.5 Fox News. Headlines, texts, emails, the TV, the computer, the phone, even your smartwatch every day. Market volatility can lead to anxiety and planning paralysis. No surprise, Americans report being stressed about their investment and retirement plans. Turn down the media roar. Dial up the planning. Put Annex Wealth Management on your side for investment and retirement guidance that includes tax and estate planning. Head to AnnexWealth.com. Click the Get Started button. Know the difference with a fee-only fiduciary. That's Annex Wealth Management. Back on Money Talk, the Annex Wealth Management Show, 92.5 Fox News. Robert Chastain, Branch Director, Wealth Manager, Annex Wealth Management, Southwest Florida. Hello. Hey, Danny. We're going to talk about some myths, actually misconceptions when it comes to managing money. we got four. See, a lot of times on the show, we talk about things you really should do, and we never want to give somebody the impression that nobody's doing it right, that maybe your instincts are wrong, because many times you are doing it right, and your instincts are pretty good. Here is the first one that we're going to talk about. It's interesting, because there is a myth, there is a misconception that all debt is bad, and it's not. It's not. And, and you know, Danny, blanket statements in general are typically misleading. So, you know, when it's all, all of this, all of that, mm, open the hood, let's look under there and find out, you know, where it makes sense. Most people will have a mortgage. Now, I like 3% a lot better than 7 yeah. or 8. Yeah. 
which we're doing now. A lot of financial plans look a lot better with the 3% mortgage, which will probably, you know, if you're thinking about selling, take a look at those numbers before you do it because it will make a huge difference. It's a shame mortgages are not portable. Does any new debt that you're thinking about taking on, does it work with your retirement plan, with your financial plan? It's something that's very easy to find out if you have a financial plan. If you are going to add some debt, two questions. Is it a nice to have or have to have? That's two questions. Put in either one of those buckets and test it against your retirement plan. Well, have you seen the crazy amount of debt that people have on their credit cards now? It's just, it's insane. It's insane. Yeah, and those yeah. interest rates are just climbing, climbing, climbing. Have you played this game yet where you sit around with a bunch of your friends and you all compare the highest mortgage rate that you ever had? I, maybe I'm wrong, but I think in like 89, I think our first mortgage was like 11%. It was, it was insane. I'm in that ballpark. And, you know, I would say 35 and under, they've never seen rates that were over five. Yeah. Probably. I mean, I'm guessing at that. But in general, the long-term average rate is 8 9%. We're not there yet. Kind of on the same vein as myth or misconception number two. And if you can't buy, you're renting. But is it a misconception that renting is like throwing your money away? That is really a myth. Here's some of the facts behind that. And let's always look at the facts. Let's look at all-in, after-tax expenses. Rent, maybe renter's insurance versus owning a house, property taxes, homeowner's insurance, HOA fees. And when you own a house, you have to fix it. So any improvements, anything goes wrong, air conditioning, garage door, somebody runs into the garage door. I just saw that happen on my street. So any of those improvements, they all cost money. If you you have to compare after tax, all in cost, and then you'll really see apples to apples. And you have to live somewhere. So look at those numbers. It's Money Talk, the Annex Wealth Management Show, 92.5 Fox News. Robert Chastain, Branch Director, Wealth Manager at Annex Wealth Management here in Southwest Florida. Talking about four money myths. Myth number three, you spend less money in retirement. Well, maybe, probably not. <laughs> From a lot of people that I see, the plans, you know, people that we have retiring, typically, typically, first couple years, you'll spend a little more. You've gotten some freedom, some extra time. There's some things that have been on your bucket list that you're taking advantage of, which you should while you're in good health. Get those things done. Go enjoy life. You've worked hard. Put in the hours. Save the money. Go enjoy it. But, 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 make sure what you're spending, you're not going to run out of money. And you can test any of those expenses against your financial plan at any time. And that's what you should be doing. So the rate of your expenses will not run you out of money before your life expectancy. Myth number four, it's rude to talk about money. I guess it all depends on how you talk about money. Oof. Well, open, honest communication. There's a saying in our house, people always ask us, who wears the pants? <laughs> And we both reply, we both wear shorts. And it's the balance of power, right, between, you know, spouses. The more even you can keep it, the more each spouse feels validated and heard. Both of you need to know what is important to each other. Try and work those in. Just open, honest communication about money. One of the largest arguments that married couples have, not just married couples, partners. Money, 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 talk about it. Bring it out. Put some sunshine on it. 
disinfect it. And have a little conversation with your kids so all of this is not a surprise to them. And the thing is, if you've got a, a friend group, you know, you can talk about ways that you've saved money, ways that maybe that is invested, ways that you were smart to call Annex Wealth Management, you know, things like that. Absolutely, Danny. And the more ideas that you share like that, you're doing your friends a service by sharing ideas. You don't have to give exact figures numbers but hey you know what my guy told me about this and you know told me about uh moving some ira money to my roth because i'm not stepping up tax brackets and and is your guy doing that does that make sense i mean nothing hurts to just run it by and you know just give it the uh old old pass by some of your trusted friends and see see what they're doing before we let you go, we got to talk today Sunday. So next Thursday is a big day with Annex Wealth Management in Southwest Florida. It sure is. We're having our uh, grand opening on Thursday, November 16th, between 2 and 5 p.m. The mayor of Naples will be here at 215 to cut the ribbon for us. So we're really excited, Danny. It's going to be fun. And then, you know, we're done by 5 o'clock. You can go on to the rest of your Thursday night. Let's talk about location. 4901 uh, South Tamiami Trail, west side of the road, just south of Pine Ridge Road. Cool. Robert Chastain, Branch Director, Wealth Manager at Annex Wealth Management, Southwest Florida. Thank you. Thank you, Danny. Oh, it's an age-old question. How much insurance do you need? Be careful if you Google it. You're going to get a lot of answers. We're going to talk about it next with our financial planning manager, Eric Strom. That's next on Money Talk, the Annex Wealth Management Show, 92.5 Fox News. At Annex Wealth Management, our goal is to provide insight for complex financial decisions. For attorneys seeking CLE credit, join us November 14th at Shula Steakhouse for our presentation, Treatment of Quadro Distributions Post-Divorce. For tax consequences in today's environment, join our chief economist for navigating the markets, strategies in an ever-changing tax environment. November 15th at M Waterfront Grill. And come to our open house at our new location, 4901 Tamiami Trail from 2 till 5, November 16th. Details at AnnexWealth.com slash events. Annex Wealth Management. Know the difference with Annex Wealth Management, joined by Eric Strom, Financial Planning Manager, CFP at Annex Wealth Management. Welcome back. Thanks, Danny. It's an age-old question. How much life insurance does one need? That's what we're going to explore here. Are you ready to rock on this one? I am. There we go. First question might be the toughest. Is there a correct answer to this question? Well, it's one of those questions like asking how many Christmas gifts should I buy for my kid, right? There's not a clear exact answer, but there's an acceptable range and there's a a sweet spot. I nosed around on the internet and I found some stuff. In fact, I was inundated with solicitations for insurance page after page after page of Google results. What I did find was a couple of rules of thumb I want to run by you. And the first is multiply your income by 10 to find out how much coverage you need. Yeah, this is a common rule of thumb. It's not a bad starting point. Think about this. A common reason to buy life insurance is for income replacement. And using myself as an example, I have a couple young kids, so definitely have a lot of life insurance on myself and my wife for replacing that income. But think about this. If you're younger, much younger, let's say you might need 12 or 15 times your income because you have many decades Mm. of income in front of you. And also insurance is less expensive at that point and your income trajectory might be higher, right? Over the years, you might make more money if you're starting off just as a fresh graduate, for example. On the other hand, if you're closer to retirement and you've already built wealth, you may have less need than 10 times your income or you may have no need at all. So that 10 times your income is a pretty good starting point. Also think about though, you've got parents who do not work but still provide a lot of value. So 
having coverage on a parent who just works at home and is not making any income at all but taking care of the kids, that is very important as well. Yeah, Mary Poppins is not cheap, right? Somebody watching the kids, right? That's right. How much insurance do you need? Rule of thumb number two, 10 times your income plus $100,000 per child for college. How about that? Well, it's better, right? Because we're starting to consider more of those details. But let's say, for example, your kids are already in college and maybe you're in your early 50s. A lot of families in that situation, we see kind of that need shifting away from life insurance and even also disability insurance, right? Because you've got less working years ahead of you that you need to protect with coverage. So yeah, that's a little bit better of a rule of thumb. Eric Strom, financial planning manager at Annex Wealth Management and a husband and a father. And I'm sure he's thought more about this question than most of us. How much life insurance do I need? Rule of thumb number three is what is called the dime formula. Can you break that down? Yeah, dime. So your debt, your income replacement, which we talked about, your M for mortgage and E for education, which is that college expense. This is probably my favorite rule of thumb because you are accounting for those most common large expenses that you would use life insurance. And with this rule, you are more likely to get enough coverage because remember term life insurance, for example, is very, very affordable. Term life insurance is great for those of us who are building wealth efficiently outside of life insurance in accounts such as, for example, a Roth IRA or retirement plans through work. And so that is good because if you use that dime formula, you can get a a little bit more granular with your need. And on top of that income replacement, maybe you use 10 times your income there, but you're adding in those other debts and mortgages and college expenses as well. And since the coverage is so affordable for many people to get that pure term risk coverage, then a formula like Dime is a pretty good way to go. There you go. Those are three decent rules of thumb to get you thinking. But when it comes to serious financial planning, Eric and the rest of the financial planning team dig in deep. They work the numbers, things that you might not be thinking about. It's what we do for our clients at Annex Wealth Management, turning things around. And you kind of referenced it earlier. Is there a point when somebody doesn't need life insurance? Yeah. So going back to that dime formula, let's say you're in your mid fifties, for example, your mortgage balance is probably a little lower now. Time has gone by, you've paid it down somewhat, and you also have less working years ahead of you to protect for that I in dime, the income replacement. So especially if your net worth has grown over the years, hopefully you've been building that nest egg, you might actually be at the point where maybe you're self-insured in, in terms of that dime formula. So for that common reason, you may not need life insurance. I will put a caveat out there that there are many families out there who have unique reasons to buy life insurance. For example, business owners who may have a liquidity need if there was a death, real estate investors, same concept there, or higher net worth or ultra high net worth families sometimes use life insurance for various unique planning reasons as well. But setting those aside for many or most of us, when you're in your mid fifties, we do see that need in general start to shift away from life insurance and more towards long-term care insurance, which is a risk that many families are facing in the retirement years. And Eric, assessing our clients' life insurance, it's what we do. It is. We're always trying to assess the risk of life insurance or a disability or a long-term care health event. These are very important risks and a financial plan allows you to assess your need to actually, do I need to buy any of this type of insurance? Eric Strom, financial planning manager at Annex Wealth Management. Thanks for your insight. Thanks, Danny. As you grow wiser, your tax strategy should too. There's more to planning than accumulating, including safeguarding your wealth. Take a proactive approach to your tax planning. Get an Annex Wealth Management Tax Smart Strategy Review. Visit AnnexWealth.com slash TaxSmart.
We're back on Money Talk, the Annex Wealth Management Show. The show is going to be available as a podcast at the top of the hour. If you're listening to the show and you're like, I like what they do, where would I fit? We've got Annex Ignite if you're just starting out, Annex Comprehensive Wealth, and then Annex Private Client. And that's kind of what we're going to touch on here, Dave. Yeah, for sure. Private Client is part of a team that we have within Annex Wealth Management to work on some of the more complex issues. And Brian, uh, you were deep into it this week. Yeah, it's been a lot of fun with working with all of our private clients because uh, really these are rather complex situations, always something new. And I feel very fortunate that we have so much talent here in this firm where we can take that comprehensive view because we talk about comprehensive wealth management. So really what does comprehensive mean? It means looking at the estate plan, tax planning and investment planning because you can't really look at any one of those in isolation. And that's one of the things that really came to life for me this past week, talking to a few clients, was just how interconnected these different issues are. And so the client that uh, I'm thinking of, uh, they had sold the business. And so now they had a very complex uh, financial situation, not to mention the emotional Mm. idea Mm -hmm. of, you know, it's like selling one of your kids if that was such a thing, right? But, uh, you know, so now you have to have this, this emotional separation, but then there's the economic issues that they have to go through. And as you said, it started with the estate and the tax planning, but then led into the investment side. It did. Yeah. And uh, which is kind of interesting. A lot of people like to put the investment planning first, but it really does, I think, need to start with that estate planning, looking at it from the tax perspective about what are your goals? How can we best define the problem that you are trying to solve? Most people, I think, come in thinking that, hey, if you work with a fee-only fiduciary, that it's really an investment problem that you're trying to solve. And it's not. It's really about your entire your legacy. Um, there's the issues as far as uh, not only the money that you have to manage, but then who is it that you want to ultimately take care of? What are the charitable goals as well? And until you've really defined the legacy and especially the charity part, which then feeds into the tax part, then you can start working on the investment problem as well. And so as we went through that, you know, there was an interesting idea, and it's an old concept that we've really been using in financial planning world for, you know, three or four decades, Mm -hmm. but the bucket idea, and it certainly worked even at this most sophisticated level. It does. Yeah, it's something that's so, uh, it's not simplistic. It's simple, but it actually works. And that's the reason why we employ this when we're presenting some of the investment strategies is that if you think about you want to have enough cash and liquidity to meet your financial needs for a certain horizon. For some people, it might be six months. Other people, it might be two years. It depends upon how risk averse you are, the variability with your spending. But then think about having a precautionary bucket, which is more where you would put fixed income in order to generate the coupon income that you can then replenish that liquidity bucket. And then when you kind of map it out, you almost segregate your portfolio into those parts, the liquidity, the precautionary part. Then you can think about how to invest for growth. What part of the portfolio is really going to be geared towards letting that corpus or that entire amount grow to not just meet inflation, but hopefully beat inflation by a significant amount. And if you are listening to this and you have a business of, of any size and it has some type of enterprise value, 
there is a process to go through. And, and what, what do you suggest? I would suggest to reach out to us because we can get involved very early. It doesn't have to be after the fact. It doesn't have to be after you've actually had that, what we would call that liquidity event where you've actually gotten the money. There's a lot of stuff that can happen at the front end if you're beginning to kind of uh, seek out suitors or people are seeking you out to sell your business. We can be involved in the discussions to evaluate things, to make sure that you really do have that big picture in mind. And there are a lot of changes that are coming as well as far as the expiration of the Tax Cut and Jobs Act. What does that mean in terms of estate planning? So it, it can get complicated and we'd love to be involved the sooner the better. Dr. Brian Jacobson, Chief Economist, thank you. Thank you. Dave, you've known a lot of business owners. Nine times out of ten, they mourn the loss they, when they, they finally do, sell. They do. Yeah. And, you know, it's like your last child going off to college. I mean, it's emotional no matter what you think. Gotcha. Folks, this last hour, just a sample of the breadth of services Annex offers for our clients. Let's get things tidied up for the end of the year. Go to AnnexWealth.com. Click that Get Started button. We'll be back here next Sunday at noon. It's Money Talk, the Annex Wealth Management Show, 92.5 Fox News. The Annex Wealth Management Show is hosted by Annex Wealth Management, a fee-only registered investment advisor. Important information about the qualifications and business practices of Annex is available at AnnexWealth.com. Different types of investments involve varying degrees of risk. Please consult with a qualified fiduciary advisor about your specific situation.